This morning, we're going to continue. We're going to wrap up our series called Parables. Parables, we're, we're looking at, surprise, surprise, the parables that Jesus teaches. And many of us love those. I love them. And what we've found is just some really cool things in these parables. We're going to look at one this morning called the, the, the Vineyard Workers in the Vineyard. And that sounds like some other ones because that's often used as a, as, as a setting for the parables as Jesus is trying to teach us things about the kingdom of God and what that's like and what we should expect and, and really why we should be excited about it. And um, Jesus is teaching for a parable in this case is going to come on the heels of a conversation that he has with one of his followers, one of his disciples named Peter. And Peter's, they're talking about, you know, the things that they're going to do for God. Um, and Jesus says, look, nobody is going to make a sacrifice for me that will go unnoticed. I'm going to value and I'm going to honor and I'm going to reward everything that you do sacrificially to further my kingdom. I, I'm going to take care of you. Um, and, and so then Peter kind of in this expression says, well, Lord, we've done so much for you. What will there be for us? And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, one of those statements that's more of a statement and not so much a question. It's more of a, hey, notice me. God, I mean, if you're rewarding people for what they've done, I mean, we've done so much. What will there be in store for us? And Jesus is going to teach this parable because he wants them to understand two things. He wants them to understand two things that are very, very important to him and very important to what he's doing in the kingdom of God. And that is that, number, number one, that Jesus is going to be absolutely fair to honor those who've worked hard and served him. That's going to be true. That there is a sense, this degree where if you work hard to follow after Christ and you're letting him work through you in life and you're following his spirit, when you get to heaven, God's going to bless you in an incredible way. It's sort of the, this idea that if, you know, we live this way in life. We, you know, the person who works the hardest should get the promotion, right? The person who, uh, who, the student who studies the hardest should get the scholarship. The pastor that catches the biggest fish should get the most credit. These are just natural things in our society. But <laughs> Jesus wants to caution that the biggest deal in the kingdom of God is not that he'll treat fairly his servants. The biggest deal when it comes to the kingdom of God is that sometimes the king just likes to be incredibly gracious. And that's the point. That while, yes, fair is fair, there's, a, there's something within the heart of Jesus where he looks at somebody and just says, I want to give you an astonishing degree of grace. And so what Jesus is, is doing, he's kind of cautioning Peter to say, hey, Peter, don't, don't get so caught up in this that you think it's only about how good you can be and how much you can do and how much you can earn. There's something about this that's even more beautiful, and I don't want you to overlook it. And so what Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to teach is, is this. He says, um, he says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. It's a reference back in the Old Testament if you're, if you're like one of those Bible nuts who like to know where everything comes from. In Isaiah chapter 40, where Isaiah says that the mountains will be made low and the valleys will be made high. That sometimes the first will be last and the last will be first. And so what Jesus is saying, that the true greatness in the kingdom of heaven is not a greatness that is earned. It's a greatness that is freely given through the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the parable. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. 
He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And then about five in the afternoon, he went out and found others still standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Verse seven, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and go on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do, with what, uh, do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we live in such a world where so much of what we look at and strive for are things that are earned and things that we can take credit for. And so sometimes it's challenging for us to sit back and look at, look at those being rewarded when they didn't work as hard, when they didn't do as much. But what you see in this is an opportunity not to display our abilities, but to display your generosity. I, I pray that our hearts would jump on board with what you do in this, that we'd be a people excited about those coming to faith even in the end of their life. We ask this in your son's name, amen. Uh, I just wanna, on the heels of, of praying uh, as we, uh, as we you know, go into what this, what, what this teaches us and how it moves us in life. I, I just want to remind you that it, you know, through the COVID area, we were kind of keeping our distance and everything. And so we weren't really offering opportunities to, to pray with people. We still would have done it. We just weren't making a big deal of it. But we would love to be able to, after the service, if God ever puts it on your heart, um, you know, for me to pray with you or for one of the staff or elders, if God just is doing something in your heart that you feel like you want to respond to him and, and have somebody else, we'd love to be able to pray with you in that. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited for life to kind of be back to normal and get more and more normal all the time. Um, so, and that goes for people watching at home online. Uh, we'd love to be able to pray for you too. You probably have to give us a call or something, but we'll figure it out. Um, so here's the deal. Like Jesus is telling this parable of these workers in the vineyard, okay? And, and so he's got these different workers and he goes to the marketplace to hire them. It's probably great. It's probably the harvest the, where, where he's needing a lot of workers. And, and throughout the day, maybe he, he realizes that he needs more workers. But really, if you study this, the more you look at it, the more it's not so much that he needed more workers in the harvest, but that he, he just wanted more people to have the opportunity to come and take part in the work and, and take part in his generosity. And, and so now as we look at this, there's a reality from, from our perspective um, it's easy to see that there's a real issue of fairness at play here. Like if we're looking at this and we're just straight looking at what is fair and what is not fair, um, we, can, we can really relate to the fact that there's something that seems off here, that there's some who worked a whole bunch and they worked real hard and they worked when it was hot and, and they put the, the heavy burdens on their shoulders. They did most of the work. And then there's these other group, this other group, these other workers, and, 
and they're paid the same at the end of the day. And if you put yourself in the shoes of those who have worked hard all day long, you've been out, you've felt the heat, you've got the sunburn to show for it, uh, you, you felt the burden of the heavy lifting of just moving stuff around, and, and then at the end of the day, you see, wow, they're gonna get, wow, they got paid what I was paid for a whole day, and then you think, well, what am I gonna get paid? Wow. And then you get the same. And there's a part of us that's not careful that could say, that's not fair. See, it's hard for us to, to read this parable and abandon, as Leon Morris talks about when he teaches on this passage, he says it's hard for us to abandon our human scale of values. That's harder than we think. Have you ever had something not fair happen to you? Something where you looked and you said, that, that's just, that was not fair. It doesn't sit well, does it? A couple years ago, about, about 10 years ago, my family was going on a vacation with five other families and, and uh, the, the place we were going to stay at lost power. So we paid our you know, $1,000 or whatever for the week of vacation and, and now we were supposed to go and we, we were gonna be at this nice house without any power in the heat of the summer all, all week long and two of the families decided they wouldn't go. And the, 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 the landlord of the property said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll, uh, because you're without power, you only have to pay three-fifths of, of, of what you were gonna pay. And these two over here said, oh, good, we don't owe anything. And I'm going, well, wait a second. Well, that's not fair. We paid $1,000 expecting we would have all the amenities, and now we basically have a big old tent. There's a part of me that struggled with that in fairness, to say, well, that's, wait, wait a second. When we were with the leases, uh, uh, they told us a story about Michael Jordan had come down, and there's, there's fishing tournaments in the area where they're at. Michael Jordan rented out the whole level of this this uh, restaurant, and, and uh, the server that worked for him uh, for that day, he gave him a ten thousand dollar tip for his evening meal. Ten thousand dollar tip. What if you were the waitress who was supposed to serve on that table next? What if, you, what if you maybe just like, the, the owner was like, no, it's you, not, it's not you, it's gonna be somebody else. Well, isn't there a part of you that would feel, that's not fair? Well, that's what, these, that's what these guys felt. But Jesus wants us to know something, that while yes, he'll be incredibly faithful to honor and to reward service for him, don't be surprised if grace overrides fairness at the end of the day. Don't be surprised if he ends up doing something which is not really about what we can do at all, but it's really just about what he can do. See, here's the element that we, we kind of miss just reading this casually, but in their society, as Jesus is telling this, they would not have missed it at all. Um, the element that, that is kind of the key part in this all is to think of who the workers were at the last hour. Who do you think they were? those who couldn't get hired by anybody else for a whole day's labor. Think about it. If you're going to, if, if it's your grape harvest and you're going to the market to hire workers, who are the ones who are going to be picked last to work? Well, certainly all the skilled laborers, certainly all those who are young and able, who can do all the tasks, they're, like, they're going to they're gonna fly off the shelf. <laughs> you're going to hire all those. But then at the end of the day, I mean, who do you think would still be sitting there hoping to find a job in the last hour of the workday. The most desperate, the most unwanted workers, the most overlooked, those who are probably orphans or, or widows and 
In fact, you see this when, when Jesus comes along, he says, well, the, the parable, excuse me, the landowner comes along and says, well, why aren't you working? And they say, because no one has hired us. No one's hired us. They were rejected. And so what the parable is teaching is that the owner of the vineyard has a great interest with the, in those with less opportunity and less ability. He has a great interest in those with less opportunity and less ability. In fact, this isn't the only parable that teaches this. You can just follow Jesus' life through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You can look through it and just again and again, he's reaching out to those who are, who are the unwanted, who are the overlooked, who are the forgotten. He, he's loving the people that people thought were unlovable. And he, he says, hey, why don't you come work for me? He doesn't, they don't even discuss pay. They're just happy to get any opportunity to get any pay. These are the people that Jesus loved and he spent time with. And so then the question for us as we wrestle with this is, is what do we do when grace overtakes fairness? What do we do when grace overtakes fairness? How does that sit with us? Can we be excited about it or are we too busy being upset about it? And so, so two points really for us today. Um, one, the one is this, is one is that when grace overtakes fairness, we would enjoy providence and not worry about prominence. Enjoy providence and not worry about prominence. What do I mean by that? Providence is, is just the sheer fact that God's loving provision for you. Like if you stop and think about all the things that God has done for you, all the ways that he's been there for you over the years, all the little things, all the big things, all the ways that he's brought somebody alongside to help you, to care for you, to love you, all the ways that he's helped you to meet, make ends meet, providence is just the way that God has practically loved you. What's fascinating about this is, is those who have really followed Jesus and have been focused on his providence, I've, follow, I, I've interacted them with some of them from the most impoverished situations in life. And never once have they felt that God hasn't loved them because they've, saw, they've seen, his, they've felt his providence. Prominence is different. Prominence is really what we feel about ourselves. It's our own renown. It's how we want other people to respect us and, and look at us and be impressed with us. And, and we live in a society that is infatuated with status. It's all about prominence. If you stop and think about it, so much of life is about who is superior to who. If you don't believe me, go to a little kid's sporting game. Go to a soccer game and look at the parents as they is the angle for whose kid gets a better opportunity or who, whose kid gets playing time or, or whose parent is proud because who scored a goal and the status is, is there. Now think about it in your own life. When you work hard, when you work hard, isn't there a part of you that wants to feel good that you've worked harder than somebody else? Status, it's little, but it's there. It creates a separation from other people. And when we have that separation, there's a part of us that just wants, wants that. When, when we get in an argument with somebody, there's a part of us that wants to be the one who's right as opposed to the one who's wrong. We like to be the one who made the right decision, not the wrong decision. We, we want to be the one who was knowledgeable. We want to be the one who was smart, who was pretty, who was strong. We, we, there's so much of life that's built on this, this idea that we want to be above other people. Um, and, and so then the challenge is really to let God reveal to us what really matters in a world where everybody wants to be better 
smarter, right? What does it look like to step back and say, God, what really matters in this world? I, I read a news article that shocked me, but really looking back, it shouldn't have shocked me. Um, but it was about the prom in Florida, which this is crazy that the world that we live in, something can happen in a prom in Florida and I can find out about it in Pennsylvania as if it matters to me. But thank you for you know, Apple News and, and all the things that they pointlessly let me need, know I need to know. Um, but it's about this girl in Florida who rigged the, the prom or the homecoming, one of the two. I don't, apparently there's a difference. I don't know that I went to either one of those things. Um, but she rigged it so that she became the queen. In fact, she used her mom. Her mom was an administrator in the school district. She used her mom's login to go with her, her mom's help to go in and, re, and change the votes so that she won prom queen. And I was like, why? What is the point of that? Like, you didn't win. Why, why would you? Because of prominence. Because of status. To be able to say, I won. And if we're not careful, that's a part of every one of our lives. And what in the world does that have to do with this parable? It's actually at the core of it. We, we miss it because we think this is really about money. Like, they got paid more. They got, or they got paid what we got paid. But, but go, let's go back. And I want you to see what's, what's hiding right in the middle of this. And it's this cry for prominence, for status. He says that these who were hired last worked only one hour and they said, and you have made them equal to us. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work of the heat of the day. And so you, you get this group of the skilled laborers, the most wanted laborers who were hired early in the morning. And they're looking at those who were typically overlooked and forgotten. They, they weren't who you wanted working in your fields. You made them equal to us. At the end of the day, this wasn't about pay. This was about recognition. This was about prestige. And, and that, that line, you've made them equal to us, jumps out as the, as the central line to this text that, that those who didn't work hard, those who didn't sweat, somehow got to be treated the same, as if they were the same. Do you notice, by the way, it didn't say you made us equal to them. You made them equal to us because it was about, hey, we're better than them. How could you make them like us? We're, we're better than them. And Jesus counters. He counters with something. I haven't been unfair to you, have I? Isn't that what he says? Isn't, haven't I promised to reward you faithfully for what you've done? I, I didn't do you any wrong. And he calls him friend. And I think that is, I think that's intentional. I don't think that's sarcastic. I don't think that's a slight. I think the landowner intentionally is saying, friend, I haven't, this is what we agreed to. And so the problem, the problem comes because we've got people who want to compare themselves to others to find their sense of self-worth. And, and comparisons are, I mean, they're, they're, they, they never work out well. When we compare ourselves to others to feel good about ourselves, it's a means of just, it's kind of us. It, Jesus says, I'll, I'll raise the mountain and lower the valley, and it's kind of us doing it. <laughs> it's a means of, of coping with, with how we feel about our, ourselves. And so what they do is they grumble. Like, and I know nobody in this room has ever grumbled, and I haven't either, so we can just move on from that. 
We've never, we've never complained. We've never done. And you know what grumbling is? Grumbling is a means of, I'm just going to teach this in case anybody out there has ever one time grumbled, okay? Um, grumbling is a means of, I'm going to have confrontational expression without actual confrontation. It's confrontational expression without actual confrontation. The problem is I haven't really done anything to satisfy what the issue is. I haven't done anything to resolve what, what's at the core of this. It's just, it, it's just expressing frustration without any sort of healthy semblance. And so, so this is why when we grumble, it doesn't, it's usually not one grumble. It's usually not like, ah, good, I'm done. It's like, who's, who else can I grumble to? Where else can I say it? Or how else can I say it differently? Because it doesn't satisfy. And, and so, so, so it, this is why in the scriptures, whenever grumble, it, it appears, it often appears what's in the imperfect verb tense, which is saying it, it just keeps going. It keeps continuing because it's looking to land somewhere to make a difference, but it never really makes a difference. So why scripture says, if you got an issue with somebody, go to them and, and work it out with them because this, that helps. Um, it, it, it doesn't grow like grumbling does. And for them, Jesus is just so insightful as he teaches this. Um, he, he, he mentions at the very end of the parable, um, he, he says, don't I have the right to do with my own, own, own money? Um, or are you envious because I'm generous? And the term for envious is fascinating in the original language. It's not our word envy. It's, aren't you evil-eyed? Haven't you looked at them with some sort of ill intent to separate yourself from them? As if they're beneath you and you're up here. Have you ever had an evil eye? Have you ever looked at somebody in a means of trying to, trying to make yourself feel better as you made less, less of them? And look, evil eye, envy, it's the enemy of grace. It doesn't want to celebrate what God can do through those who didn't really do much. But Jesus just chooses to do something incredibly miraculous through anyway. We got these water bottles. This is not a plug. They're $5. I don't really care about that. If you can't afford that, just take one. Um, but uh, the staff is making fun of me because when I go to fill it, I make a big mess every time. And so um, when you fill your water bottle at the water bottle station, if you, like, if you pull it away, to, if you don't do it right, like it just makes this big water mess. And I've done that about 15 times so far. Um, and I'll probably do it another 15 times because there's an art where you've got to, like, you've got to just kind of tilt the bottom away uh, from the sensor there. And look, here's the thing. Like when you feel evil eye, tilt away from it. It's not doing you anything positive. Just, just lean away from it. Be a person that chooses to focus on the good things that God is doing. I was talking with one of our elders the other day, and he said, you can either look in the world and see what the devil's doing or what God's doing. That's true. And it made me stop and think, where, where is my heart? Where's my eyes? Where's my focus? Am I caught up with what is not fair? But God, what about me? Look, there, there's a degree of this where you know, I, I can look at other churches and say, well, why is this happening for them? Where is that happening? And, and, and that's not fair. It's not about fairness. It's not. It's about the grace of God. And it's about me enjoying my own providence that God has provided for me in, in so many ways. And I can't focus on everything else and lose focus on that. 
to say he's provided for me. It's not about this status thing the rest of the world has been deceived into being caught up with. It's not about who's better than who. Because at the end of the day, only thing that matters is Jesus is better than all of us. It's about his prominence. And so what has your focus in life? Because envy, that evil eye will sneak in and it does not want to leave. It wants to stay and it wants to keep seeing the problems and everybody else. But we're looking out of the world and saying, what does the devil want us to see as opposed to what God wants us to see? What has your focus in life? Solution to that, by the way, um, I take from a guy named Phil, who, uh, hardworking construction worker in Southern Lancaster County, wanted absolutely nothing to do with God. Walked into a house one day to do some work, walked out an entirely different man, wanting to follow Jesus Christ. Just had some miraculous vision. I can't explain it. But a man who wanted nothing to do with God walked out of that house saying, I'm gonna follow you completely, Jesus Christ. You know, what I've learned from Phil is if you ask him, how are you doing? His answer will always be the same. Four words. Better than I deserve. How are you doing, Phil? Better than I deserve. How's it going, Phil? Better than I deserve. That's, that's eyes of providence. God, you've, you've treated me better than I deserve. Why? Because he still, no matter what, has a faith that grants him peace with Christ in paradise forever. He still has the understanding that even, that, that even if he would have gotten everything else that everybody else in the world got, the greatest joy still would have come from God. It still would have been God's. This is, this is, that's the lie of status, if I get, if I get, if I get, if I get. Even if you got it all, even if you got everything you've ever wanted and every bit of recognition you've ever chased after, the, the thing that would produce the greatest joy for you is still Jesus Christ in relationship with him. And so there's no point in, in trying to continue to climb and climb and climb. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. And so we enjoy the providence of God without being caught up in the prominence of the world. Second, second thing that we need to do when grace overtakes fairness is this, is that we should be people who anticipate and celebrate 11th hour generosity. When we see it, God, that's just awesome. Cool. There's gonna be people next to us for eternity in heaven who on, on their deathbed came to Jesus Christ. And they're gonna be incredible examples of the sheer generosity and grace of God over and over, and we see them all over the place. People we thought had no chance. And what do you do? You celebrate 11th hour generosity. You anticipate that God's gonna do these things. I met so many people who came to Christ far later in life and when everybody else gave up on them and just things turned and God worked in their heart. And what do you do then? In our story, in our own family, I've got an aunt who um, she, she squandered much of my grandparents' wealth and, and through, through addiction and just didn't want anything to do with, with anybody, was not kind, was not considerate. Now she's one of the godliest women I know. 11th hour generosity. What do you do with it? Do, do you look at it and say, I, I don't know. <laughs> Because what happens if we end up like the workers, skepticism turns into cynicism. We start to look down on people. 
We've got to, we've got to guard it. We've got to guard the resentment that can cause us to miss the point that this is not about work at the end of the day. Yeah, God will reward his faithful workers. Absolutely, but that's not the key point. The key point at the end of the day is the master loves opportunities to be incredibly generous. That's his money, not ours anyway. And isn't it incredible that we're gonna get to see him do some miraculous things? Isn't it awesome that at the end of the workday, he's gonna go down and say, hey, anybody else wanna work? Even though nobody else wanted you, everybody else rejected you, everybody else thought you were unlovable and they thought you couldn't benefit, just come on, work. Here's Here's the irony of this. How much work are they even gonna do? They gotta walk to the place where they're gonna get there and they've got an hour. They didn't have instruction. They don't know what they're doing. They've got one hour. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is grace. And it's a beautiful note of grace when the worker, when the landowner says, don't I have the right to do what I want to do? And if I wish to give, wow, I love that. The heart of God. If I wish to give, Hasn't he given an incredible amount? Isn't that what grace is? God just wishing to give. And so for us to to anticipate God wants to do this, to celebrate it when it happens, it's his prerogative to grant, grant the same privilege to the last as the first. And if that's how he chooses to work, then the real question is, which is what the parable presents, is are we gonna be those who go home grumbling or are we gonna be those who are celebrating the fact that God chose to do something incredibly generous? What do we do? Because when sinners come to Jesus in the waning moments of their life, having done very little for him or even spending very much time working against him and they choose to accept his invitation, can we rejoice? Can we sing his praises? What is our attitude when we are spectators of grace? You know, one of our values here at Susquehanna Value is that everyone's invited. What happens if the everyone is a someone who you weren't so sure about? Someone you didn't like? Someone who wronged you? Somebody who didn't do the work? And they end up praising God. What happens at that point? Do you go home rejoicing or do you stand bitter grumbling? That's the challenge that Jesus wants to, that's the tension here. Jesus says, yes, fairness, I'll reward you, but don't think that that's the main point. This is about my grace and it's about my love and it's about my mercy and I will give it as I wish to give it. Don't I have the right? So what does this mean for the latecomer? What does this mean for the person who nobody else wanted and at the end of their, their life, they turn and they follow Jesus after a slew of mistakes, after, after just being not there or being against him? What, what, is, what does it mean? That Jesus in the end of our work hours is still willing to employ us in the kingdom. It's not like retirement. It's not too late to catch up. As I turned 40 this summer, that's, that's one of the things that's on not just my mind, but on the minds of my peers. Is, you know, what, what, we, we don't want to be in the situation where it's too late. It's too late to catch up. And Jesus says it's not too late because it's never really been about what we do anyway. And God just simply enjoys being generous. And so with this grace, if you're the thief on the cross, you can be at home in paradise. Doesn't this parable come true? when Jesus is hanging on the cross. 
In Luke chapter 23 and verse 40, it says, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 11th hour. It doesn't get more 11th hour than that, does it? Just remember me. I won't have to remember you. I'll be able to look at you. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And the grace of God is so incredible that it's incredible enough to, to render our history obsolete. This is what we celebrate. And if we step back from the, the, the edge of fairness and we look at what's really going on, none of us are in this anyway. None of us deserve this. Every one of us is a thief on the cross. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us deserved what he paid for. And so what Jesus says is, yes, I got you. I, I see your hard work, but, but don't lose sight. Don't let an evil eye and grumbling through comparisons and through a desire for status, don't let it mistake you for what's actually at play here. Incredible generosity that every one of us is a recipient of. Let's pray. Our Father God, I thank you for your mercy towards us. Lord, we, we typically measure the things that we do well. And we do that oftentimes to make us feel good about ourselves. But really that sense of self-worth comes not from our achievements, but through just incredible love poured out to us. I pray that we would set our hearts there. That we have hearts just so enamored with your grace that we'd love to see it whenever we catch glimpses of it, that, it, that when we recognize it, Lord, that our, that our heart would delight in it, that it would overtake the skepticism and cynicism, and we'd jump on board with what you're doing when you're doing it. Lord, we love you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen.